Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who has never had the pleasure of using a safe use site. <laughs> and I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And, and I say the pleasure. I'm sure that's a little uh, snarky, but you know, it would have been nice if there was a nice, comfortable place to go where I knew I wouldn't die. Yeah. And for me, I never uh, was homeless during my active addiction, mm. so it was never a problem. I always had a safe place to use or you know as safe as you can use anywhere right. yeah see i i stayed in like a, a boarding house for a very short time and they wanted half my stuff so i was like nope homeless it is i'm not giving <laughs> half my stuff away that's crazy um so yeah we're going to talk about new york city and their supervised drug injection sites uh or safe consumption sites or overdose prevention sites or whatever in the world you would like to call them at this point. Uh, they seem to go by a variety of names, but we do have some, I guess we call it housekeeping items to go over first. Uh, we've gotten some really, really nice messages from people lately and just wanted to acknowledge some of that. Uh, Emily reached out to us on Instagram and, and was just telling us that she she thinks the podcast great. She's gotten a lot out of it when she's been struggling. Uh, it sort of feels like conversations that happen in informal fellowshipping, she said, which I, I think that's kind of what we're going for here. Yeah, uh, for sure. I hope they also help when you're not struggling. <laughs> so like, not just listen when life sucks. Uh, you know, listen when life is good, too. Maybe we'll keep that going. Um, but no, it was, really, it was really kind. And anytime we get feedback like that, it just... I don't know. I don't think I would stop if nobody gave us feedback because I enjoy it and I feel like there's personal growth in this, but it's still reaffirming. Yeah, it's definitely encouraging, especially since we don't seek uh, whatever you call it, praise or approval or surveys or any of that stuff. So people are actually going out of their way to send us that feedback. It's kind of nice. Yeah, maybe I should start fishing for a little more feedback <laughs> there. It kind of does feel good. Um we also had another message, or actually this was a comment on our Instagram. Miss Erin said she just wanted to tell you how much, uh, let me just read it and not try to change the words. Just wanted to tell you how much I love your podcast. It's really open-minded and funny and honest. Going to do a deep dive into the catalog today. Hashtag fan for life with like five hearts. Oh, like, nice. That's very nice. I know, right? It's just, it's it's warming. Uh, we got a comment on YouTube from Skylar who said it's a great podcast. And then we also got a message uh, from, well, the name on Instagram is Mindset, Mindset Expert, which is really interesting. Um, and she left us a, a voice message just telling us she, you know, works in the field. She's got some different opportunities that she partakes in to help people and give back. And she just told us she loves it. She loves that we, we keep a sense of humor about it, that we're talking about things. We're, you know, exposing people to new ideas and uh, 
just thank you. I mean, I, all of these people reaching out, it, it means a ton to all of us. Um, and by all of us, I mostly mean me and Billy, but also, <laughs> also Jenny, who's a regular here and, and Caroline, you know, I'm sure they appreciate it too. Like their contributions are not looked over. Uh, speaking of contributions, you know, we always like to acknowledge anyone who has given us any cash to assist. We don't, you know, there's some podcasts where it costs money to listen to them and stuff, and that's not something we've ever wanted to do. We want to be free and accessible. That being said, of course, there's always costs involved in running a podcast. And, and you know, Billy and I always like to say we don't keep any money for ourselves that gets donated to us. We, we pass it along to the recovery community to be of benefit in some kind of way, shape, or form. Uh, and so we want to acknowledge people who have contributed. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. And I guess... You know, something I've never mentioned before, but I kind of heard this somewhere else. Uh, you know, if you listen to our podcast and, and you listen in and you get this hour's worth of like uh, a relieving feeling or a positive vibe or, or or something like just think about did this hour make me feel as good as a cup of coffee does in the morning, right? And if you want to donate the price of a cup of coffee per month to us, uh, you want to buy us a cup of coffee? You can go right to the website, recoverysortof.com. There's a PayPal button somewhere on there, and there's, I think, even a donate tab to make it easier to find if you don't want to scroll around and look. Um, and you can just donate the price of a cup of coffee. And again, we're not even going to drink it. We're going to buy somebody <laughs> in recovery uh, or, or, you know, someone or trying to trying find to recovery. Find recovery. We're yeah. going to buy them a cup of coffee with it or a pair of shoes or an outfit to get a job interview or whatever the hell it is that they need is is the goal. And, and thank you to Voices for giving us that opportunity and that easy means of interacting with the community. You know, Voices of Hope is a nonprofit we're slightly associated with that, you know, gives us that opportunity because they're in the mix and helping people out on the ground level. And, you know, we can just pass that money right to them and they do useful and helpful things with it. So thank you to everyone. Uh, we appreciate all your donations, contributions, your feedback, like all of it feels nice. And, and, and the great thing about, I think, having that way of operating where we're not charging for the podcast is if people who don't have the money to buy us a cup of coffee, that's cool. We still want you to listen and, and get the information and enjoy. Yeah, and I, for me, this all came about just from you and I having a lot of conversations about recovery and the amount that I felt like I was growing and getting out of some of those conversations and the idea of like, hey, let's talk about some of this stuff and think through some of these ideas and explore recovery stuff that you're not going to necessarily hear in a hour meeting or whatever. And I've enjoyed it. I know it's helped me a lot, too. Yeah, and, and same for me. I mean, I thought this podcast was a great idea because when I heard myself talking aloud to you, I was like, that's brilliant. It should be on a podcast. No, we kidding. are really smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we wanted to get into safe consumption sites. That just says, yeah. every time I hear consumption, yeah. I think of like a 1989 Hallmark movie where somebody coughs blood into a <laughs> into a handkerchief. They got the consumption. Yeah, and one of the things I, I, I believe that name keeps changing because it's still definitely in the United States it's a newer idea at least newer being put into practice um and it is sort of developing and changing kind of on the fly you mm -hmm. know obviously if you call it a safe injection site that makes it sound like it's just for people that are shooting drugs right. you know and it's not necessarily what they are which so. was fascinating when we found that out <laughs> yeah you don't yeah. have to do heroin or anything by needle to go there yeah i guess and you could you go snort heroin there i 
I don't know. I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it's there for. You can smoke crack there. You but can they get don't your drugs that. tested there. Can you? Yeah. So that's one of the other Man, things. Yeah, now I'm really jealous. Yeah. I could have knew if I got burnt or not before <laughs> I shot the coffee creamer. Well, I don't know that they test the <laughs> purity. I think they just test for fentanyl. So. Oh. Well, they should like really test it they and tell me analysis. It's real. Is this legit? If you want to use it, how long are you going to wait for your analysis to come back? I'm <laughs> hoping it's immediate. <laughs> right. Rapid result yeah, test. I need a rapid test of right. my purity. <laughs> of course, then I'd be pissed. I'd be like, I bet some of the heroin got sucked up in order for you to test <laughs> right. it. That was how the part of I needed. How much did you have to use right. for the test? <laughs> how much are you cutting off the top of my pill there? Are you really using all that right. to test? Yeah. I don't know. So that's that's fascinating. So. I think in general, like, where where do you start with this conversation? Just the idea that who would have thought we'd have this? Like, it's still federally illegal. Apparently, there's some crack house uh, law, which isn't called that specifically, but that's how it's referred to, that, like, you can't create an establishment with the purpose of allowing people to do illegal drugs there. Yeah. So safe injection sites or safe use sites have existed in other countries. I think there's like 20 other countries that actively have them. I know Canada, there's a couple in Canada. Um, so it's not, like I say, it's not a new concept or something that other countries haven't been using. There is some data on their success and how well they've worked and, and a little bit of controversy over who they really help and what they really do. Um, but one of the things we know for sure, at least it seems like, is that they definitely save lives. Mm. Um, they, I think you had brought up, and, and I had heard that statistic somewhere too, that no one has died in using in one of these safe use sites since they've been in existence, which That's is crazy. pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> I mean, that, that blows my mind. Yeah. Because we know, I mean, overdose death rates, I think they said they've like, tripled in the last 20 years mm -hmm. and then 2020 was the worst on record in the united states mm -hmm. so we know this the overdose death rate is going through the roof um the the tainted drug supply if you want to call it that illegal drug supply is is you know rampant now you're finding fentanyl and all kinds of drugs besides just heroin or what was thought to be heroin you know it's in everything right. And people are overdosing at alarming rates. And I say that, you know, we're allowing people to go into these sites and use freely and that no one has died is, I guess, I'll use the word amazing. I don't know if amazing is the right word, but it definitely means it's it's at least serving that purpose. We're keeping people alive. So this article uh, that I was looking at from the, the Gothamist, it says that 30 people per 100,000 residents of population in New York City overdosed and died. Mm. And I think I saw the number on a different article, which I, I couldn't find again, but it said it was 2,000 people or something mm. like that. I, I haven't run the numbers. Feel free to go out and fact check me and correct right. me on that. But 2,000 people died. Mm. That's a lot of people. I yeah. mean for sure. If we had like 2,000 listeners, <laughs> not to just yeah. say that'd be fantastic. We might have 2,000 listeners. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's an incredible number. And, and the fact that no one, like that blew my mind when I read that. No one, not one single motherfucker has died in a safe use site. And I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, people are only there getting high. Like nobody, yeah, all, yeah. not one, not once did they fuck it up. Like, that's inc yeah, I, I, incredible, amazing. Like I don't know what word you want to put on that. Fantastic. Like, and, and to me that says, well, if everybody just used it a safe use site, nobody would die anymore. Yeah, and part of the the 
problem, I guess, or, or one of the issues we run into is there's a certain type of person, I don't know how to say this nicely, there's a certain type of person or a certain mentality that believes that we shouldn't be saving people from the consequences of their behaviors. Mm. But when those behaviors are death, you know, it, it seems like we should, you know, it, it, and I don't know how you weigh that out. It's I don't want to say there's a specific line, but it seems like you fall on one side of the line or the other. And it's like, well, you do anything you can to save someone's life. You know, that's always the thing you want to do. It doesn't matter if they did it to themselves or not. I mean, even if someone's trying to commit suicide, you don't just go, oh, well, they wanted to die. So you let them die like you you help them. You Hmm. you try to get to a place where they're not dying. (laughs) And uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, like that for me and at least there is something to be said for the risk of death was something i thought about when i was using it was something that was on my mind like i could really die doing this shit i think at that point in my life i didn't really care Mm. which was different but i that risk of death was definitely there i don't know i still thought i was immune yeah kind of like how i feel about COVID now like "Ah, i can't touch me i'm good yeah it's interesting i i like I in general, I mean, I do disagree on principle that just consequences make people adjust, but I, I get it. I get that there are consequences that can help us learn. You know, we, we ex- life is an experiment. We really don't know what the fuck we're doing. And so you have some consequences and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel good. I'll do something different next time. Not a terrible theory at its base. Right. Well, and not to stop okay. you there, but. For me, that's part of my story a lot of times when I share it. Like, I'll say, I love using drugs. I love the feel that heroin gave me. I stopped using because of the consequences. Yeah, I, I hear you say that on here. I'm always questioning that to <laughs> yeah, some so extent. Yeah, so I'm curious. <laughs> Only uh, for myself. I've been like, I'm like, I don't know. Is that really a thing? <laughs> that was, on, was that on the drug court episode he said that too? I think so. I think he I was say it when about... I share in, in part of my personal story. I mean, I... I guess for me, the question is why, right? I'm not doubting that you love getting high, but like, what is it about me that loved getting high? What was it that wasn't there that felt like that the, whatever the high gave me or the release or the relief or the calmness, what was that providing? And why can't I find a different way to give it to myself? Right? Like it's, it's not really the questioning that I, was it a useful tool for me? It's just, I don't know necessarily that that means that I'm this guy that just loves getting high. I think this means that, oh, there was some stuff going on. And what's the message about that stuff that was going on? And how can I address that in maybe some ways that have different consequences? Hmm. Yeah. And I guess I just like the exploring alternate realities kind of thing <laughs> like just being in different completely different mental states like my goal was never like i'm just gonna use a little bit like i right. always wanted to get fucking obliterated to like you know to get to some different mental plane or whatever and i don't know i just i i agree that I, what i've found for myself now are there are other ways to get there and that that one seems pretty dangerous you know using and the consequences seemed pretty high for Hmm. the reward like the risk reward for me wasn't there anymore i feel like my different plane of existence in that aspect was like non-existence that's where i was trying to get i was trying to get to where i didn't even realize i was here anymore kind of i mean i was was like a blackout drunk and uh 
I wanted to use till I was nodding. I wanted to use till I was nodding to the point where I wasn't even aware I was high anymore, which is kind of pointless. Like you missed the whole supposed high. That's why I guess I question this. Did I love getting high thing? Cause yeah. I didn't want to stop there. It wasn't like, oh, I got a nice buzz now. Stop here. Like, no, I keep going till there's nothing. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I did or not. I don't. Ah, all right. Bring yeah. us back. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the idea of consequences isn't necessarily terrible. And while I don't really particularly agree that we can just have enough consequences to change people completely. I get the the general theory that people of that belief system come from, right? Like, hey, if you end up homeless, you will not like the conditions and you will change your life around, get a job. And okay, I, I don't believe it, but I understand that. But yeah, there's the line of like, at some point, when death is the actual consequence, nobody's learning or growing from that. <laughs> like it becomes an invalid point then. Like, okay, you want to let the guy be homeless because he doesn't want to work? Fine. Let him be homeless and hopefully he doesn't die of starvation or freezing to death and, and gets his life together. But to let the, like the only alternative to a safe use site or, or keeping people alive is, well, fuck him, let him die. Basically. Right. And that just doesn't make sense. And it, I mean, to me, that the idea of just fuck them, let them die is contrary to to a big narrative in this country, which is to rise from the ashes, overcome the adversity, mm. become, you know, triumphant over your demons. Like, that's a, a major narrative that gets played out throughout our society. And people love to hear those stories. You know what I mean? They love to hear the guy that was homeless in the streets, you know, doing drugs and committing crime that has now changed his life and is running you know a recovery center or doing whatever like people love that story and i don't think they connect the two things like well if you don't keep people alive long enough to hopefully have that experience you know you're cutting a lot of those stories out before people ever get the chance yeah yeah it's not like uh, the guy who got it together or managed to find the help he needed or the support he needed was any fundamentally different than the guy who died. It just, he got the opportunity somehow. And maybe that's what we'll find, you know, down the road from some of these people at the safe consumption sites is that, you know, they have a story of success later and they're like, oh, thank God that place kept me alive long enough to get to this place. Right. And, and sometimes like for me, so I never had like an active overdose where I ended up in hospital or needing resuscitated or anything like that. Fucking completely dumb luck. You know right. what I mean? It wasn't ever anything that I did to prevent that when I got heroin and did heroin. I never tested it for purity <laughs> or knew how much. It was like, well, this is about how much I did the last time, so this is how much I'm going to do this time, and how do I feel? And, you know, it just really – and, of course, they say fentanyl kind of changed that whole game, you know, for, for overdoses. Fentanyl has been a mm. huge, huge contributor to the – overdose deaths um and maybe that's what's uh propelled the need for stuff like this yeah yeah i'm with you i didn't uh there was no safe using in my variety <laughs> right. of using it was like hey one pill did this i wonder what two does right. let's try four and, and what kept me alive probably more than anything was i was broke and didn't get a lot of money and got stuff that was really stomped on in the middle of the city <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's probably what kept me alive. I couldn't get the good shit and didn't have enough money to get enough of it. Um, and dumb luck, like you said. Or, yeah, and it's, it's not like experienced users don't overdose. You know, it's like there's – it's just so dangerous nowadays. I mean, 
I don't know. It's a terrible, terrible consequence. I mean, and when I was using people, there was a few people that overdosed in the time, you know, during my mm-hmm. active use, but it wasn't like it is today. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, a friend who we were using with went out. I don't know. At this point, I really, looking back, don't know how serious it was, whatever. We ended up calling emergency services and they did whatever they do and she was fine. And then, you know, going to use one time on the street behind a house, we ran into somebody else because apparently that was a popular using spot behind that house um, who was, you know, blue looking. But I believe she was alive after that emergency services encounter too. So, you know, heard about people and all that, but it wasn't a, I didn't have a huge network when I was out there. It was like by myself and, you know, it's just sad to to hear people later on that have passed, but I don't know. I, I've never had the answers. I, I think one of the things that stood out to me and and one of the reasons I wanted to bring this topic in and, and I think, you know, Billy kind of came up with the topic, but it's been on my mind a little bit is like right after this opened, I was on Instagram, I'm scrolling through and somebody from the recovery community and I'm not, you know, going to put anybody on blast or anything, but they had posted, uh, there's been five overdose already overdoses already at the new safe consumption site we need to get rid of this shit we need to not allow this crap in our neighborhoods and looking through the comments like there was a ton of comments like people are passionate about this and there was a few that you know kind of go along with things that i think about it but there was mostly in this hundred and some comments people agreeing People from our recovery community, like, this is bad for us. This is terrible. We shouldn't have this. And I was like, wow, I had no idea that the recovery community was so against this, right? Like, I don't know why it's a huge shock thinking about the way we've kind of (laughs) rebelled against Suboxone and and methadone and all those, you know, medicated assisted treatments. But like, it was, it was shocking to me. I was like, God, everybody's like down in this place and talking about how it's awful for our community and people won't find recovery and you're just enabling people to get high and you know can't believe there's already been five overdose that or overdoses and and that was the one of the funny things about it is that's the headline from the particular news establishment that they get their information from but the fact is like you and i had talked about at that time when i told you about it that's five people that didn't die that would have if they weren't there possibly Right. And it's the same idea as like, you know, syringe exchange. It's like giving people clean needles doesn't make them go out and shoot heroin. It's not like if we start handing clean needles out on Route 40 that people that never used heroin are going to go, oh, yeah, this seems like the right idea at the time. And it's the same with a safe injection site. (laughs) These people are not, you know, people that are in chaotic use are not going to go, oh, well, there's no really safe place to use, so I think I'll just not use today, like, or I'll not use this amount. Like, they're going to use <laughs> and right. do the same thing, whether you tell them it's okay or not. Like, they're not looking for your approval. <laughs> um, but in fairness, I was one of those people for a long time, probably the first 10 years of my recovery, if not longer, I was, you know, uh, medicated assisted treatment is legal drug use and mm-hmm. it's terrible and it's not a good way to treat people and all this stuff is enabling and what the fuck. And it really took some soul searching on my part to be like, all right, so what is 
what is most important? Is it most important to me that the life choices that I've made and the way that I've chose to handle my addiction, that that be quote unquote right and that that be justified as the best way to do it? Or is it more important that people aren't suffering and dying as a result of this disease? Right. And, you know, we can argue about qualities of life and some of that stuff. I get it. But if the choices are between dying and using street drugs or, you know, using a medical grade drug in a safe environment, I think I'll take that over death you know yeah yeah and and david alluded to this point on the episode where we had him on to talk about his book the weight of air but i want to really entrench this point with you so listen up dear listener if they gave out free drugs free you know government uh watched over and maybe processed or whatever if they gave out free drugs at a location and they gave you clean needles and they would watch over you to make sure you didn't die they say they set this up right in your hometown would your parents go there and start using would your spouse or your kids just automatically go there and start using what about your closest friends would any of them decide that since the government is giving out free drugs and clean needles and a safe place to use them that they now all just want to be heroin users. Would they do that? So if nobody you fucking know <laughs> would actually make that decision, why do you think people are going to like, do you think there's other people that you don't know that are going to randomly go start getting high? Well, I will be honest. So one of them, and I'm a proponent of not just decriminalization, but legalization of drugs. But I am curious, like we know that, alcohol is one of the most easily accessible drugs so we see a really high rate of alcohol use in minors and adolescents mm -hmm. and now with marijuana being more legally available some of those rates have gone up and i don't know that there's a correlation or not i mean I, i'm just curious like if we did make access to other drugs easy would it introduce people at younger ages i mean i would hope not <laughs> well i would imagine you would but, have to be 18 to go use them at these places yeah but it's like alcohol you know i, I mean you're not supposed to have access to alcohol till you're 21 but i don't know about what world you lived in but i never had much of a problem getting access to alcohol from 16 on it was pretty easy well you know? and and so in that vein i actually say my idea limits how much people can get because if you are given it on site and monitored and you have to use it on site you can't take it with you anywhere well now we don't have anywhere else to sell it like people aren't going to buy it from the oh, guy yeah. on the corner so right. now there's he no dealers that exist now there's no access for teenagers to get to it unlike alcohol which is still out here freely in the world and, and maybe we put alcohol in this hey you can drink as much as you want you just have to come to this site to do it right now all drugs are contained at this monitored site and nobody has access to them that's not supposed to so now i i think everything goes down from that view you just fixed it uh, fucking... <laughs> god damn it why don't they call you <laughs> right <laughs> you why do they not but, call me so back to the safe injection site so my understanding of how they work in general this is a general rule because i've never actually been to one but they provide booths or cubicles or in some cases a little more private area that is monitored 
in some cases by a medical person or in some cases by other peers. How do you get the private area? Do you got to be a VIP? I don't know. I was wondering that, too, because the one picture I looked at, it showed a couple of cubicles and then it showed one corner with like those medical uh, uh-huh. like screens around it. And is you that, can see someone's feet underneath. Is that for so somebody like, who well, has how? to get naked to get high? Yeah. Like, or I'm like, why are they back there? I'm only injecting in my it. penis. Maybe it's or where they have to inject is. Huh. There was a girl in my neighborhood that stripped instantly every time she got high. Like literally just got naked. Like would stand <laughs> on the street naked, like waving at so people. Or just because she was high. I think because she was high. Like every oh, time huh. she got high, that was just her initial reaction was just take her clothes off. Like tequila makes your to- clothes come off. Apparently heroin made her clothes come off. <laughs> wow. But uh, I mean, maybe that's the thing. Like maybe they need the private room for that individual yeah. that just. Well, and I was curious, like, how do you monitor the people in the private room? Do you got to like holler at them? Yo, <laughs> like, still awake over there? You can't be nodding out. I think, I mean, the doctors poke their head in the private room. They don't yeah. wait for you. So you can probably, probably still true. poke your head in, but. But yeah, so anyway, you can go into one of these cubicles or one into these private areas if you get the private area and you, you know, can use whatever drugs. And in those areas, they have uh, safe um, syringes, you know, clean syringes, clean use implements. Uh, The one I heard of warm towels because apparently warm towels help clean your skin, but they also help to raise the veins so that you can find the veins easier, which I found fascinating. (laughs) I found it fascinating that they said that like a lot of the people who came there were really loving the warm towels. (laughs) Okay. Never thought about it, but yeah, cool. That's awesome. I'm thinking they're getting a facial. Right. (laughs) I'm going to shoot up and then put my warm towel on my Well, face. I keep picturing a strip club when you say the private rooms. I'm like, I'll take the bottle service, you know, <laughs> right. slip the person a 20. Like, I'll just go in the back room today. Feeling spicy. <laughs> but it's a, you know, it's a clean, safe environment where mm. you can use the safe as possible, you know. Well, and apparently the article said that, like, they have a, a, a living room type area where people kind of hang out or whatever at. Which is fascinating. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You get high. You don't want to leave. You got a nice couch. Cool. That's awesome. But then you were telling me the piece about you can smoke crack there. And I'm picturing like, for lack of better terminology, like eight crackheads right, running around, peeking out windows. <laughs> I'm just, and that was how I'm I used out, right? Like, right? Yeah. Just, I'm like, is that safe? Like, we're all thinking yeah. we're killing each other. and Or even I've never used the meth, but I hear the, the, the crystal meth is like even worse with the yeah, paranoia. The and, psychosis. Can yeah, you imagine the people dangerous. like all have been there wondering what's going on, all thinking each other's out to get each other? It's like a game of fucking perverse clue or something (laughs) yeah i imagine and i could be wrong but i think you would need some pretty intense training to (laughs) i guess after experience you know carries something through that but foo yeah and and that's one of the fascinating parts of this that blew my mind is there there's two safe consumption sites in new york right now and they operate differently because really this is all an experiment we're just trying to figure this shit out we're trying to throw spaghetti at a wall let's see what sticks right see what works best one is operated by medical professionals and the other said was run by peers and it made the distinction in the article i read peers who actively use still or, yeah, it could be actively using. Yeah. I was like, really? You got high-ass people watching over other high-ass people? Well, I thought about that, and I thought, so immediately, I thought, you can't have high people watching somebody who's high. So I thought they probably have some stipulations around that. There's probably a program director or somebody that oversees, like, 
can't use just like job. any job. Like you can drink at home, but you can't come to work drunk. You know what I mean? It's I, I would imagine that's maybe the case. Let's hope. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Maybe right. we got the high people watching no, us. I don't know. Maybe they know what to look out for. Right. <laughs> I see what you got this week? <laughs> I see better when my eyes are pinned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the big, I guess, or, or one of the, the big uh, criticisms of some of these, obviously, besides the, the using part, is that you are, as we've sort of joked about, though, you are inviting a certain uh for lack of a better word element a certain amount of of chaos i mean it's called chaotic use so you're inviting a certain amount of chaos not just into that facility because from what i understand these don't just uh exist on their own they're within other facilities that were already conducting like syringe exchange Mm -hmm. and some other services so these were places that had experience and were already dealing with other uh, addictive issues um but you are definitely inviting a chaotic element into your neighborhood into the neighborhood where these things exist and uh i can see how that could be a little scary or that could be a little uh maybe not so great for the neighborhood <laughs> yeah yeah i can i can hear that argument and and i mean i think some of the residents of the neighborhoods were you know frustrated that a lot of the people, so I guess they get information, like location information from the people who come to the sites, but a lot of the participants weren't necessarily from the immediate area, which I wonder if there's some kind of worry about people in the immediate area of like, oh, I can't go there because people will know and I live here and that kind of idea. Uh, I don't, and and again, this is me talking out the side of my mouth because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I don't picture that these are being put into areas where this isn't already a problem. (laughs) Like I I get the feeling that, you know, generally if you go into a city, uh, the recovery houses, the needle exchange or, 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 you know, supply of safe use tools, they're in areas where they're needed. Like they're not just some randomly far off place where people don't have access to go get them. They're right there where people are on ground zero. So I get the feeling that this problem was already in their neighborhood. And, and, you know, some of the things I read, it's not just about keeping people alive, even though that is the main point. There's also like, we're keeping all this uh, trash that should not be on the streets, whether that's drug paraphernalia, baggies, used tools that are dangerous for people to accidentally step on. Like all this is being contained in this one spot too. So it's, I'm like, well, they're kind of cleaning up your neighborhood. Like, I get it. You're bitching about it, but. And that's definitely the hope, you know, because as you said, these, at least the the two that exist now, were not in like neighborhoods that didn't already have a lot of problems with chaotic use and and people actively using in the streets and things like that. And uh, in our area, it's up towards, you know, uh, Kensington in Philadelphia is another area where it's pretty much an open drug use market right. already. You know what I mean? If you go up there and, and walk around, and from what I understand, that's how these neighborhoods were already before yeah. these sites existed. Um, so the hope is that you'll bring some of that element off of the streets and more indoors into an enclosed area. In other countries, at least, they haven't seen an increase in crime rates in those areas, 
but they haven't seen a significant decrease either. Right. Um, so there's not a lot of evidence that it will decrease crime. But like you said, if if it keeps people who are actively using, you know, indoors, if I have kids in that neighborhood, you know, do I want them seeing people shooting up and nodding right. out in alleyways? I mean, is that something? And then how much can we do to clean up these neighborhoods by giving people a place to safely dispose? And some of that are, are ideas within these facilities that you can perpetuate. I know we tend to think, not me, but society tends to look at addicts as these degenerate, no good, horrible people. But when I was using, I still had ethics and morals. And a lot of what I did, you know, went against those morals and stuff. But within clinics, if you can explain to people, hey, look, we want to be safe and we want to keep kids safe. And most people, whether they're using drugs or not, still feel like that's a really good idea. You know, most people aren't out trying to harm people. You know. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. That's tricky. I mean, I, I, I had very few morals and ethics towards the end there uh, of my using, but I, I'm picturing like if it was convenient. I mean, if this was a place that was convenient to me and, you know, I could easily access. Yeah. I mean, why why wouldn't I go get fresh stuff and turn in my old stuff? Like I, I didn't have it out to like, oh, I want to dirty up the street. Like that right. wasn't on my mind. It was just most of my choices were out of like what makes the most sense for me at this point. Thinking of bringing the crime into the neighborhood again, if we go back to just giving this shit away to people at the places, they have no reason to commit crime. Yeah. Crime's all about getting money for drugs. Yeah, because that was part of, the, part of the argument against is that, you know, you're giving a place where people use, you're going to encourage dealers to, to be in those areas. I mean, yeah. it's just too easy. Just give it out. <laughs> it's, you know, they don't have to travel. They're not going to travel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking at this. It says uh, over the first two weeks, you know, 43 overdoses were reversed. That's 43 people that we don't know if they would have definitely died. But chances are the good majority, if you're off in a place alone somewhere, not around anybody and, you know, nobody finds you. Yeah, that's that's what we know happened. So in two weeks, 43 lives were saved, basically. Hmm. I just, I don't know. And and I guess going back to this idea of the community pushback, like, it's interesting that our communities, especially, this isn't, like I said, this isn't like, you know, some fancy ritzy neighborhood where they've never had drug use problems around and we're just throwing this thin there to mix it all up for them. Like, this is an area that already struggled, but it's interesting that the pushback immediately is, we got to get this place out of here. We got to shut it down. We got to get rid of it. Like, that's the pushback to the idea in my head, right? That's not the pushback to the practice because you don't even know what's going to happen in the practice yet. You haven't given it time to see. I mean, this these interviews with community people were two weeks in, right? So I, I guess just why don't we default to this other idea of like, okay, look, we're in the community. 
I have some reasonable concerns about this. Let me go talk to them. Let's have like an open forum with the community and, and the people who run the place, right? Let's have an open dialogue so that we can A, see how well it does work, what happens over time. Let's give it six months, see what changes do take effect. We can voice our concerns. We can voice things we see in the community like, oh, look, I, I, I think you're helping, but I do see that this behavior has picked up or changed or adjusted and that we don't really like that in this community. And then maybe the center has the ability to like have ideas of what to do to try to curb that particular behavior, right? Like it's... It, the pushback to the idea is like, you just need to get the fuck out of our neighborhood. But it's interesting that that's our default instead of defaulting to like, well, let's see what progress this brings. And then let's work with this location to see what else we can work on. Maybe they can adjust their practices a little bit that would take care of some of these issues that we find arise in the neighborhood. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a sentiment that's expressed in a, a lot of areas of life, I would say. I mean, you find the same thing with homeless shelters with treatment centers we've had it in this area with recovery housing you know recovery houses wanting to open in certain neighborhoods i mean people will throw an uproar you know what i mean mm -hmm. well this is my neighborhood i don't want you know these people in my neighborhood it's fine if you do it somewhere else just right. not here and i mean i don't know how you decide if not here where like <laughs> you know and that that is a sentiment that we run into a lot with with addiction services is no everyone thinks we need them everyone thinks they're great but no one wants them where the people are and right. if you don't put them where the people are and they're not easily accessible um people won't typically go to them um i know i saw some research from the sites in canada and they said they really only uh found decreases or significant decreases in overdoses in a very limited radius to those uh safe use sites mm -hmm. and that outside of those areas as you got a few miles outside of those areas the overdose rates were still the same so what that you know tells us is that people aren't going to travel typically aren't going to travel for miles and miles you know to go to a safe use site but as right. you said if it's if it's there and it's convenient and easily accessible then they probably will so does that mean we need you know, dozens of them all over the city. I don't know. <laughs> or if we gave out free drugs there, everybody would go <laughs> yeah, 20 and 30 miles. Fuck right. yeah. I'd move states. I'd move countries. <laughs> like yeah. Canada's giving out free drugs. I'm there. Fuck, fuck Baltimore. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. Like, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, either, either one of those works, I guess, you know, I, I don't see my vision coming true in my lifetime. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the difference between, using narcan on like an american versus a canadian no. so for the american you narcan them and they wake up and they're pissed off and they're angry that you fucked their high up and everything and a canadian wakes up and they're like sorry <laughs> <laughs> i just made that shit up um yeah i i don't know i i definitely think we do default to this idea of like yes not in my neighborhood and this is what it leads to Elkton, a local community government city. I don't know what the fuck you call Elkton. Is it a city? I it's guess. A, I guess township. Would call it a city. I don't fuck, yeah. Whatever. It's a local area around us. They were against having methadone clinics, so they created a whole new law for Elkton that you can't have certain, and and they worded it in a way that could keep out methadone clinics without saying we're keeping out methadone clinics, right? 
And my mental health practice found the perfect little place that they wanted to buy that was within Elkton that had like, you know, space to provide mental health services. And there was like room out back to take nice walks and participate in nature. And we could do some cool stuff there. And we couldn't get it because we're zoned as a medical facility. And that's how they worded it to keep the fucking methadone out. So now you've restricted access to mental health services that are, you know, on the up and up because you have a shady fucking problem with methadone clinics that help people. Right. And that's the same with, you know, Voices of Hope and some of their services. Like they've had to find a facility outside of town, the township or whatever you call it, you know, the definition of the town limits. They could not have a facility in. Well, within town limits, most things are easy walking distance. They're on the bus line. They're easily accessible. You know, it's where the most resources are. And yet you're going to take a resource and push them to the outer limits, you know, so that now it makes them harder and less accessible. And, you know, how good job. Elk. Yeah. It like create you barriers. yourself like those those ideas create barriers. And, yeah. you know, that's as of right now, that's one of the biggest impediments. And like we're in a rural area. This isn't a city where right. it's easy to get around and. I mean, granted, like in this case, you know, Voices isn't too far from town. It's within walking distance on a decent day. When it's cold, it's Mm. a little bit of a hike. But to get a little further out to some of the recovery housing or or where, you know, the the women's house, you know, is a few miles out, you know, do we really want people walking miles to get access to services, you know, up major roadways? (laughs) It's you know, you just create these barriers by having these weird, weird laws or. I got to be honest, though, the the women that are new in recovery and the women's recovery house, they're not going to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to pick them up. I'm just saying. Somebody yeah. get them a ride. Uh, no, that's very sexist of me. Um, but unfortunately, probably true more often than it's not. Yeah, I just I think Elkton fucked themselves out of, you know, having services because they're. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. It's not racist. Like, because they're offended by the idea. They're, they think people who struggle with substance misuse are, are bad and they want to get rid of them. Their take on that has caused them to miss out on other services that they would probably love to have in their town, like mental health services. And I, I just, you, you fuck yourself when you try to, you know, get around all this in a shady way of like, well, we can't say we don't want methadone in our town. We'll just say we don't have more medical facilities. That's it. We'll fix it that way. And yeah, well, yeah, and I don't. Out. I mean, I can't say that it's not somewhat true. It's like when you provide services, the people that need those services are going to come. You know, and so if you let's say a homeless shelter, when you start providing homeless services, you're going to get people come to your area that need access to those homeless services and you know there's a a trade-off i mean do you only serve the people that are from your local community or do you become a haven for for people you know i don't know i guess it depends on what side of your humanitarian ledger you know where that is and if you gave out free drugs people would never fucking leave and you wouldn't have to worry about it (laughs) (laughs) you would just have a warehouse somewhere and you would never see it uh, they wouldn't want to leave. They wouldn't. They don't need to be on a bus line. The fuck, they need to go. I got my drugs. I'm here. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's a shitty way to say it. But when I was using, if you'd have had a facility that gave me free, I wasn't going nowhere else. Like, yeah, I, that's probably true. Why would I need to? For what? What do they got? Food? Who needs that shit? 
Well, and from what I understand, that's what typically used to happen before this, like, war on drugs and the illy. Like, you used to be able to go to a doctor, and they would prescribe you heroin or morphine at the time. And you would just go to the doctor, and you'd get your morphine, and they'd shoot you up while you were there, and then you'd leave. And some people had, like, two twice a day, I think it was, from, from some of the things that I've read. It's like – and there were programs. Like, huh. you were on a morphine program, and you came in the morning, and you came at night, and you got your shot. And then you went off and did – what you did hopefully i mean the idea was that you could just go out and go to work or do whatever you needed to do but that that was considered a medical condition and they were treating you medically for that condition where's jenny i'm having nostalgia for a time i didn't even participate in ah <laughs> right. uh, oh, the good old days right, the good old days when you could just get high and nobody bothered Maybe you that's what people mean by the good old days they were getting morphine at the doctor they didn't give a shit about politics <laughs> definitely what they mean right. uh so uh, you know one of the things i found interesting they don't even necessarily revive people with naloxone all the time yeah. this isn't just narcan uh they're generally it said more often than not using a simple oxygen tank because if you catch an overdose early on that's all it takes to reverse the course of it and that is wild to me and then they said when they do use naloxone, they're microdosing it. I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. Wow. I just, all these concepts, I feel like we don't know anything about. And that's well, just another great benefit to the addict. Like, <laughs> you know, because if you don't know, if when you use naloxone on people, it brings them out of their overdose, but it also eliminates their high as well. It blocks your opioid receptors. So you quickly lose your high, mm. you know, so we've, I mean, I've heard stories, and I'm sure they're true. I've never done it, but that people have brought someone out of an overdose, and then the people coming out of the overdose are pissed off and angry because yeah. you just ruined their high. Unless you're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, I guess so. If you have a trained, uh, prompt medical response to these things, you can do it in a safe manner with just oxygen. I mean... Not only that, but you're not injecting a drug into somebody's body, which to me, if you can do anything without injecting drugs into people, it's always better. Right, right. Uh, there is a drawback. Uh, it says right here, visitors have to bring their own drugs. So that's the downside of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would be much nicer if they didn't. But it's also the the elimination of, you know, the impact of these overdoses on our medical facilities, uh, the spread of diseases, you know, the reduction of the spread of infectious diseases in our community. Like there's some of those things that will be interesting to see, you know, what happens. Are we reducing some of our demand on our medical staff, which right now with COVID we hear is a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, it would be nice. And that's, and that's another piece of it, right? When you talk about people who don't give a shit about people who are shooting drugs. Okay. That's fine. You don't give a shit, but maybe your neighborhood's cleaner because some of the, you know, trash or leftover medical waste from people using is left at this facility instead of on your streets, which that's always a, a plus. And, and you're saving taxpayer money. They're not calling the ambulance for these overdoses, right? They don't have to. They're right there. They're on the scene. They're doing it themselves. Like, where's the drawback to that saving money? Because I, I don't know. I, how much is an ambulance now? $800? $1,000 yeah. for ambulance ride? And you can bet the homeless person is not paying for that ambulance ride. Correct. <laughs> you know, we are through our insurance and through these other things. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's a draw. It said uh, the Biden administration, again, because this is still federally illegal, 
the Biden administration hasn't really given any idea of where they're going to stand on it. Like literally the federal government could step in and shut this down whenever they want. They haven't, but they also haven't really been like, Hey, let's try it out. Let's see what happens. We're all, we're on board. We're not going to come shut it down. So they haven't really taken a stance at all. And maybe that's something we could, you know, if we believe that this might be a good idea, press whoever, whether it's Biden or the next administration, like let's have a stance on this. Let's be okay with it. Let's try. Yeah, we would need a change in legislation to make it, you know, quote unquote legal. Um, that's there was supposed to be a safe uh, use site in Philadelphia that actually got held up specifically because of that federal law. That's actually what I think it was supposed to open back in, I want to say, October. It was actually supposed to open before the New York ones did, but then it was legally challenged and it's still being argued in court to whether they can, you know, legally operate. Right, right. And and I think, I mean, even if you don't change the legislation, even if you just give the public stance, hey, look, this is not something we're, we're interested in going after or prosecuting right now, you know. Uh, yeah, wasn't that with, like with marijuana right now? Isn't marijuana still federally a crime? They have, yeah. still have not changed that? Right, right. But their their stance is, you know, public that we're just not doing anything. We're letting other people figure that out right now. And I, I ran into this looking at, you know, going to a nude beach one time. It was like a, that was in the description. It's like, look, this is illegal technically in the county, but federally it's on federal property. So there's no federal stipulation against it. And they've publicly said we're, we have better things to do than lock up naked people. Like, so it's right. it's on record and, and it makes people feel safer about using that environment like okay look we we know where this space is we know they're not going to come do anything so we can you know feel free to participate and enjoy it in how we see fit i mean the scary part of that though just to is that the federal government can change their mind in any administration or even in this administration they can change their mind to go no nope, we think it's terrible we're shutting them down and all of a sudden this thing can be closed and when you're trying to operate or run some of those facilities one there's not this abundance of money that people are handing you to yeah. open safe use sites. It's probably difficult <laughs> to get funding and to have continued funding for long-term success. But when you also have the fear that at any moment someone can step in and shut you down, like it's it's really difficult. A lot of people go into this work and just be like, hey, we're just going to push now, do the best we can, and we'll see what happens. And they're courageous people, but what you lose in that is people that I don't want to say that aren't courageous, but you, I mean, not everyone can operate cats. in that world. If you have a family and kids and you're trying to invest in a career mm -hmm. and you have some sort of medical training or ability, you might have a lot of compassion for people with addiction issues, but you're like, ah, that's pretty, right. that's pretty risky. Well, you know, shady. that's a risky endeavor to get into when I don't know if, you know, at our next president, they might decide these places can't exist and you're going to shut them down. So, if, you know, we could change some legislations and hopefully attract more, better, brighter minds to this field to to help solve this, you know, addiction issue. Yeah. So the U.S. Representative Nicole Maliatakis, is I think how you say her name, uh, represents parts of South Brooklyn and Staten Island and has introduced a bill in Congress that would prohibit organizations that have overdose prevention centers, a part of them, from receiving any federal funding, including for unrelated services. Um, 
and has publicly said, I'm opposed to the heroin injection sites because I believe it is only encouraging and enabling people who have this addiction and it is not actually doing anything to help them. I don't, is it encouraging and enabling to people, do you think? Uh, I mean, I guess that's more of a personal decision, but that it's not actually helping them, I think, is pretty incorrect. Um, I think that's almost factually incorrect because we do know that more people engage with treatment options through needle exchange. Uh, we don't know about safe use sites because that's new, but we know through needle exchange that more people access treatment through those than any other public service that's out there. So I can't imagine a safe use site where they're also providing these wouldn't, you know, because most of these sites, it's not like they just open a place and say, here, come use drugs. They have, you know, addiction counseling there. They have resources. They have therapies, you know, things like that. And I mean, they, I don't think they're meant to encourage people to use drugs. They're meant to give them a safe place and encourage them to like be safe and smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And somebody made a point like, if you're not at this location, where are you? You're in the IHOP bathroom. Right. You're in, you know, KFC's restroom. Like, well, you're going to be somewhere doing this. Like, you're not going to, you know, be nowhere. You're not going to disappear because the site goes away. And that's what I... When it says encouraging and enabling, like, again, I don't know anybody in my life that would necessarily go out and start a new way of life of heroin use or drug use just because some place opened that allowed it or, or accepted it. Like, these are people who are going to be doing it somewhere. And so it's just kind of giving them a communal space to do it safely and, and maybe not detract so much from the community surrounding it. Yeah, and it's the... the I guess I'm going to call it old school idea that like, you know, shaming people and ridiculing and, and moralizing people is somehow going to make them want to change. And in fact, I think at least in my case, it served the opposite effect. Like I already felt ashamed and embarrassed mm -hmm. and, and full of self-hate, you know, and just piling more of that on did not make me want to change. It made me want to use even more to cover all of all that shame right yeah. you're trying to get away from those feelings and the idea of you know a lot of these harm reduction methods is that we're meeting people where they are and telling them hey this is where you are but you still matter you're still a human right. being that deserves to be treated with dignity and respect you're still a person that is loved and we care about your health and safety even if you don't even right. if you're not that caring about yourself we care about you and we'll keep you alive and we'll keep you safe yeah, I think all the things you're talking about just serve to further alienate me, not only from the community at large around me, but alienate me from even the belief that there was hope for me, right? All these ideas of how terrible I was and, and the ways people acted towards people who had, you know, drug misuse issues, substance problems. It was like, yeah, that just means that there's no hope for me. I'm so separate from these kind of people that, that you know, it would probably be best if I just die. That's probably the best option because ain't nothing else coming from this. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt about myself at mm -hmm. the end. You know, the best I could do for most of the people in my life was to die. You know, my life wasn't really worth it. Right. At least that would bring them the relief and not having to worry about it anymore. And thank God that didn't happen. Yeah. And I think we're becoming more aware of how sort of intertwined you know mental health issues are in mm. addiction um how you know much 
addiction now we're coming to learn is born out of trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and these are all things that with the right treatments can be addressed. You know, if we can just get people connected to the right resources, connected to the the whether it's medical or, you know, therapeutic or whatever you know, needs they have, if we can just connect them to those right resources, they can find the avenue to address why they're in this place. Right. Anything else you wanted to point out about the safe use site? Safe consumption site? No, I think it's, you know, fascinating to to watch. Um, I am grateful for myself that I don't have to frequent one today. Mm. Um, I have thought that if they open one in this area, like, would I want to work there as a person in recovery? I don't, I don't know. That might be hard. Yeah. Um, I would like to think I would, <laughs> you know, but I'm not so sure it's, it's tough. I mean, but I guess my only message would be if you're a person in recovery, you know, try to approach it less from a judgmental point of view and more from a humanitarian point of view and just because i'm a person in recovery i still look at active users are my same brothers and sisters as recovering people in a meeting like there's no to me there's no difference we're all just in different uh places with our struggle at the moment but you know, people that are using aren't any different than me. They're, they're my brothers and sisters, too, and I want them to be safe and loved and, you know, healthy and not die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those things. And, and I would say for me, if, if you listen to this and you have a beef with, you know, uh, safe use sites, like, l- let us know. I'm curious. What is your, your beef? What is your issue? What do you think might happen? Right. Cause I, I want to hear the arguments. I want to explore it more. I want to see if maybe, maybe there is something I haven't thought of that makes these less beneficial than more beneficial, but let us know about that. And, and I don't know, man, I, I just, it's hard for me to see the drawback. I guess for me right now, I just, I think they're useful. I don't think they're making people turn to a life of drugs that wouldn't already be there anyway. I think we're just helping people stay alive. Yeah. And and I guess I think, you know, even if it's enabling, like, aren't the benefits worth the enabling? Mm. Like, <laughs> I mean, to me, it seems like they are, but I don't know. Free drugs for all. <laughs> all right. Go out. Have a safe week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>